Hey guys, welcome to the unexpected end of Volume 1, a.k.a. Season 1 of True Crime Story. Yeah, this episode will unfortunately be our Season 1 finale. So back on May 5th, we were put on evacuation alert in Fox Creek, where we live and do our recording from. Now, I had already left town for the weekend, headed to Calgary to visit my grandkids, For the weekend, I knew that there was a fire, but it wasn't threatening the town at that time. I wasn't worried about it. By the time I reached Calgary, though, which was about a five-hour drive, the evacuation alert was released for Fox Creek. Uh, Residents were told to be prepared to to leave your home, pack for three days, and just watch for updates. Now, we don't have local news where we're from, so watching for updates literally means watch Facebook. Yeah, and obviously there would have been the opportunity to maybe pack our podcast gear and stuff, but not really in my situation because I have three cats, two dogs, a wife, honestly, and a bunch of other things to take care of. And when you are under a mandatory evacuation notice, that's kind of one of the last things on your mind, honestly. You're looking for things that you don't want to burn really like things that are irreplaceable and the fact that i'm not dissing anybody but they were everybody was told for to pack for three days and we knew we had some previously recorded episodes that we were hoping would carry us through this evacuation um we've actually released those over the past week and a half um we do have other episodes recorded but they're waiting for editing So today we're going to try a new way of recording. If you can't tell, the quality might not be the best, but we wanted to get this last one out and hopefully we'll be able to get back home soon. Um, I said in my important announcement release that I am evacuated to Calgary. Um, Bree is evacuated to the evacuation center in Whitecourt. So we're about four and a half hours away from each other. So this is kind of what we've come up with just to make sure that we get something out this week and to explain to everybody what's going on. Not to mention, I mean, being out for a couple of weeks here, we have hardly had any like financial or support aid. So like we can't even go out and pick up like new gear or anything for temporary. It's really like a day by day basis of like just hoping that we have a hotel going. (laughs) Things are a lot different in White Court than they are in Calgary for me. Obviously, I'm staying with family and um, our family down here, they all have pets and allergies to cats. So Brett couldn't be accommodated with her entire family, but uh, she's chosen to stay in White Court. And things are looking up a little bit. We're getting some rain. Um, the, the local volunteer fire department's been doing a bang up job in creating fire guards around the town. So far, we've been lucky. Nothing's been lost, but we're looking at probably at least a few more days to get back home, which will put us at the three week mark without being able to go home. And uh, information is very slow coming in because like I said, we don't have local news. We're kind of relying on global news and uh, what the firefighters can release when they have time to release information. So did you, uh, did you see that new update that they put out today? I did. So I guess essential workers are being allowed back in to kind of start the process of starting the town back up. Yeah. Thank God. But. Yeah, thank God. But I started thinking like all those downed power lines on the highway and stuff, I think all of those would have to be repaired 
before um, the community will be allowed back in. So I suspect we, we're going to hit the three-week mark. I suspect we're going to be out till probably Friday. Oh, wow. I don't know. I have no other information than that, but it's just my own personal thought. Yeah, yeah, it's very possible. And I'm, I mean, I hope it's sooner than that. I am going absolutely stir crazy. I love my family, but uh, I, I need to get back to work. I need to do something. This is driving me bonkers. Yeah. So having said that, I've been able to really saturate myself in these uh, true crime cases. Um, so I thought it would be a good idea to take this opportunity to go back and go through uh, the chapters that we've gone through and put bookmarks in. Um, kind of give whatever updates there are or let you know if there haven't been any updates. Um, so first, um, chapter one was the Idaho Four murders where Kaylee Gonzalez, uh, Ethan Chapin, Maddie Mogan, and Zena Carnoto were murdered. Um, Brian Kohlberger was arrested on December 30th. And at that time, we had been waiting for June 26th. Kohlberger was supposed to have his preliminary hearing. Um, being that there's still a strict gag order in place, uh, despite the Gunkalves family lawyer filing motions to appeal this, um, they have not been successful so far. But last week, a secret grand jury met and indicted Brian on four counts of murder and one count of felony burglary. So everything sped up at that point. Brian was actually in court this morning on May 22nd. Um, and he, he seemed about the same. His appearance was about the same as we saw him back in February. Um, he hasn't gained any weight or anything like that. Maybe his hair is a little bit longer. People online were saying, oh, he looks worried. He looks worried. I didn't see that. I think he looks just as arrogant as ever. He was very, um, confident when he, uh, acknowledged the indictment and he understood the charges as they were being read to him by the judge. Um, a lot of the information that I have, the channels that I watch, they do real deep dives, dives and it's kind of more technical. And I'm just going to try to simplify things here. Um, basically, what happened was after he acknowledged the indictment and all the charges, said he understood everything, um, he, he was asked to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. Brian's lawyer stood up and said, we are uh, we are standing silent were the words she used. And this kind of took me back. So I went and I researched that. And basically standing silent or standing mute means that they're refusing to enter a plea. So no matter how far I dug, I couldn't figure out what benefit it would be to Brian to do something like this, because you're basically pleading the fifth as far as your plea goes. Um, the more that I listen to experts and lawyers talk about this, um, it could be a delay tactic for what I'm not sure. Um, but personally for me, after everything that I've heard and read, I think that it's very, very possible that Brian didn't want to enter a not guilty plea or guilty plea. Um, because the prosecution now has 60 days to announce they're going to, uh, seek the death penalty in this case. So if he has to, make a plea deal or something to take death off the off the table um this would be the perfect way to do it because then he doesn't have to withdraw a plea of not guilty having said that with standing silent the judge went ahead and entered the not guilty plea because a plea did have to be entered today so the judge officially entered 
all of um, the not guilty pleas for all five counts. So that was very, uh, that was very interesting. And like I said, very sketchy with that, but we don't know. Um, and the trial date has been set for October 2nd. A lot of people think that this could be very possible um, just because the murders happened on November 13th, 2022. That's almost an entire year of discovery even though it's over three terabytes of evidence for the defense to go through, they've had the time. Now they've got more staff on board. It could happen. Um, they did not waive his right to a speedy trial. So basically, as of today, they have six months to go to trial. The six-month mark from today is November 22nd. So that October 2nd is is about four and a half to five months in. So, So everything is on board. I personally think before October 2nd, we're going to see some kind of a plea deal to take death off the off the table, unless he is as arrogant as he seems to be. Um, also, the victim's families have been able to hold off on the demolition of the house in Moscow. Uh, families are concerned with the jury not being able to visit the site. Nothing official has been released, but according to Kaylee's dad, Steve, the house will remain standing for the time being. Um, and honestly, that's those are the updates that are the official updates and that and that's the only information that I want to bring you none of the rumors or speculation or anything I know there was a dateline thing on the other day where they were saying that maybe Kohlberger's sister had mentioned to their dad that Kohlberger had something to do I mean those are just rumors and I think it's pointless to get into those okay so the next chapter that we have a little bit of an update for is the Delphi murders of Abby and Libby uh, as we know, Rick Allen has been charged with felony murder in that case. Um, the court dates are still set for June 15th and 16th, where Rick was expected to request bail. Um, actually, today, Rick's lawyers filed three different motions. One motion was for discovery. Another one was to suppress. And the third was to uh, switch the bail hearing into a suppression hearing. So like I said before, I'm not going to go into all the technicalities that I was able to find out. I'm just going to tell you simply that they're basically saying that they feel that they haven't been given all of the discovery from the prosecution in the case. Um, the motion to suppress is when you suppress evidence, you want it thrown out for one reason or another. And then the third one was to change the bail hearing on June 15th to a suppression hearing. So to hear um, those two motions. So um, there's no answer to those yet, but it is where it is. Um, so along with this, there were some pictures released of Rick Allen a couple of months back showing him much, much thinner in old, dirty, ratty prison clothes, and along with this picture, somehow through the strict, strict gag order, we were able to read an emergency motion for safekeeping filed by Rick's attorneys. In the motion, they accused the prison of neglecting Rick's human rights, comparing it to a concentration camp. Remember, uh, Rick is only charged right now and is presumed innocent, but he's being held in administrative uh, segregation for his safety in the DOC facility, which is normally where convicted people are housed. They've already been found guilty. 
Um, so lots of opinions came of this purposely leaked, I think, to drum up sympathy for Rick to further their cause to have Rick moved to a county jail uh, to be closer to his family, closer to lawyers. The document said that he isn't been given documents about this case. Um, but I found out that people in Ag ADSEG are usually on suicide watch or something similar. They're not allowed to have absolutely anything in their cell. So I feel like he probably has access to the documents, but he's just not allowed to keep them inside his cell. The motion also said that Rick was displaying mental illness signs like schizophrenia. So the judge basically denied the motion, saying that he's being kept in DOC for his own protection and he can be moved to another DOC facility, but a county jail only if both parties agree. And the sheriff's office did not agree. I don't think anybody wants that kind of publicity or um, their, you know, protesters, whatever. The counties are just too small. They don't want to deal with that. So right now he stays in Westville Correctional Facility for now. And other meaningful updates will be posted to Facebook unless we're back up and running by June 15th. Obviously, I'm going to want to go ahead and do some kind of a an episode if we are up and running by June 15th and 16th, because that's a big day. We're going to actually hear some evidence that day. Yeah. And I would like to say that like the photo of him, like looking ragged and like skinnier, like it, it is pretty dramatic. Like it is, the difference it, is there. <laughs> it is absolutely. But um, if he is being afforded the same as everybody else who is convicted, and I'll keep saying that, they get two showers a week. They can change their clothes. Like they can, they can exchange their coveralls. Um, but if you have mental illness, sometimes hygiene and stuff like that isn't top on your priority list. Sometimes they won't shower because they, for whatever reason, maybe they're scared of other inmates or whatever. Um, so, I mean, I suspect that he's probably seen mental health, um, professionals by now. I think that, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what to think. If if they put him in there for his own protection and now they want him out so that the lawyers don't have to travel three hours to see him, um, there's a whole bunch of reasons that could be, but we don't know because of the gag order. Well, we'll, we'll literally not know until he goes to trial. Yeah, so. but we know what they're claiming and he is... Like, he's not convicted, so I don't know. It it, yeah. it rubs me a little bit the wrong way until I know the evidence. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't Mostly know. Mostly considering that probable cause affidavit. Like, I know I said it a little bit in the episode. I I mean, I hope that they have more than that bullet because yeah. uh, the more I think about it, the more I feel like every bit of that probable cause affidavit, they could poke holes through especially with all the speculation, all the other people, the other actors, quote unquote, um, Ron Logan being a huge one, he's dead now. Uh, but the FBI were sure that that was him back in 2017. So, I mean, the defense, I think, has so many avenues to choose from to kind of raise reasonable doubt. And remember, that's all they have to do. They don't have to prove he's innocent the burden of the prosecution to prove he's guilty beyond that reasonable doubt so i i just i hope i hope there's more that we're just not hearing about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. next on the list is uh is it abby Choi or is it kagan klein 
I think order wise, like if Kagan is chapter five, Abby's chapter eight. I know that. Yeah. So Kagan is chapter five. And there's some kind of wonky news on this one, too. It should have been all said and done because in March, Kagan pled guilty to 25 counts of child pornography, child solicitation, child exploitation, synthetic identity deception, and obstruction of justice charges. Remember, police originally discovered Klein while investigating those Delphi murders and his lengthy history of catfishing young girls to get nude photos and videos of them, including uh, Libby German, who was one of the Delphi murder victims. Um, so that's what led police to him. But so far, no official connection to the Delphi case other than that coincident. Um, so last week on May 18th, Kagan was to be sentenced. But instead, a continuance has been granted for the Kagan Klein case as the defense seeks further review of evidence and potential to withdraw the plea. So what does this mean? This is uh, this is crazy. Okay, so what happened was Kagan basically said on May 18th that there was evidence that he had just recently uh, seen that he didn't know about, that he was never made aware of. And so that evidence he feels is could be enough to prove him innocent, I guess, even though he's already pled guilty. So my mind is spinning. But he feels like he might not want to plead guilty anymore in light of this quote-unquote new evidence. So, of course, everybody was surprised, like witnesses, victim impact. Everybody was in the courtroom waiting for the sentencing and Kagan does this instead. So if, so just so everybody knows, when discovery happens, there, there can't be any surprises to the defense. Any evidence that the prosecution has, they are legally obligated to provide that evidence to the defense so they have no surprises when it comes to trial. So by saying this, Kagan was basically saying that the prosecution didn't give evidence to his attorney or his attorney didn't give evidence to him to review. So either way, Kagan is pointing the finger elsewhere, saying that he didn't see this stuff. From what I read, it's that uh, interrogation transcript that we've all been reading for the past year from back in August of 2020. Now, I've scoured the coverage of people who have been in contact with Kagan because, like, I'm sure I've read somewhere that he had a lot to say um, to his ex-girlfriend, actually, about the murder sheet releasing the transcript. And I'm, I'm, I'm positive that I've heard quotes of him talking about the transcripts. I'm sure he's seen it. It sounds more like delay tactics to me again. So as soon as that... As soon as that hearing was over, the prosecution basically released a statement saying that we've given all of the discovery to the defense. This was not our office. We vehemently opposed his um, continuance, but they respect the court's decision to allow it. But, um, but yeah, so then today, Kagan's attorney, Andrew Akey, filed or sorry, sent a letter to Kagan basically removing himself as counsel. So we don't know why this happened. We don't know if Kagan um, fired him or we don't know if he removed himself um, as Kagan's lawyer. But keep in mind that if 
if if his lawyer knows that Kagan was aware of that evidence and now Kagan is trying to tell the court that he isn't aware of the evidence or wasn't aware of the evidence, then that defense attorney cannot argue on that point. They can't walk into court and lie for their client. So that would be reason to, you know, recuse himself from the case, from from representing Kagan. We don't know. We don't know why this happened, but all we know now that it, Andrew Aki is no longer Kagan's attorney. Um, yeah, I I mean, it's just it's mind blowing to me that this happened today. Um, so, like I said before, though, delay tactics, there's two possible reasons for this. Is it connected to Delphi? And maybe something in Kagan's discovery has Delphi implications and they need that gag order to stick. Uh, once he's sentenced, everything should become public record. Or is Kagan simply afraid of being sent to the Department of Corrections, like a federal prison, even though he's likely to be sentenced under 10 years for his crimes, possibly up to 40, but it depends on how the judge groups the charges together. The murder sheet actually explains the ins and outs of each charge and how they can be sentenced. Um, I strongly suggest people go and listen to that because... I mean, if you're into it anyways, but uh, it was very interesting to me because you'd, you'd, you'd think that somebody like this who's so prolific would would serve a decent sentence, but it could be, quite honestly, could be as little as six years for all of that, but uh, remains to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the next one is Abby Choi. Yep. Uh, <laughs> there's not too much of an update for Abby Choi. Um Obviously, the investigators need more time to kind of dig in. They said that they don't expect any more people to be charged. So it sounds like they're pretty confident that that's like the people who are like helping them try to escape and stuff like that. It sounds like that's pretty much it. Those six or seven people. I think it was six. Yeah, I think I think it might have been seven at the end there. Because remember, you were kind of the... You were kind of the one that broke that because you were right before we recorded that that was released. That I don't I I don't know maybe it was six, but I thought it was seven. Uh, okay. So yeah, no, it is seven suspects have been arrested. So that's that's right. Um, the only main updates on that one is that the Hong Kong court heard uh, that like. There was blood in the suspect's car. So if you guys remember in the chapter, we talked about um, Abby Choi's relationship with her ex-husband and all of his family. And so her brother-in-law, Anthony, was kind of really close to her and was her chauffeur. She kind of got him jobs, uh, made it so that he could pay his bills and stuff like that. And it was that, well we pretty much suspect that he hit her over the head and then got her into the car and then brought her to the villa. So that blood in that car kind of a little bit confirms that to me. Um, So yeah, no more arrests are expected. Blood has been found. And so also 12 more weeks were granted to police by the court so that they can continue to investigate um, which is pretty interesting that that's something that they have to do there, but maybe the court hearing or whatever was scheduled sooner. And maybe that just means that they had to push it back because police needed more time. 
But, uh, right. yeah, there's definitely more for them to look into. As far as I'm concerned, they're still looking for her hands and arms and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's definitely different than how things are done out west. Like the investigation is, I mean, it's obviously ongoing until um, trial happens usually, but they're not, you know, automatically granted more time because you have to have probable cause. You have enough to prove that they've committed the crime before you can even charge them with the crime here. So, I mean, that's very interesting. Agreed. That's it. That's it for Abby. <laughs> so the next uh, chapter that we have a bookmark in was a two-parter, chapter 15 and 16, the West Memphis Three. Um, the Arkansas Supreme Court has ruled in favor of an appeal made by Damien in April. So just a month ago ruling against the Arkansas Attorney General's efforts to delay it to delay the decision to refuse DNA testing using that state-of-the-art MVAC technology. Um, Echo's appeal basically asked the Supreme Court to reverse Judge Alexander's decision and to remand the case back to the circuit court for a full hearing on the merits of Echo's request for the new scientific testing. In the appeal, Damien said, quote, Ten years ago, I had no choice but to take an Alfred plea to get off of death row. I needed to fight for my innocence and that of J Jason and Jesse outside of prison walls. And that is why I sought to test the evidence in the case to exonerate us and lead to the real killers. Once we made inquiries to the West Memphis police to turn over the evidence in the case for advanced testing, we were told that the evidence had disappeared. While the state continues to fight that effort, we are hopeful that the Arkansas Supreme Court will recommend that a circuit allow DNA testing. Unquote. Um, again, I'm watching this one closely. And like I said in the episode, I refuse to close the book on this one. We really need to know who killed Stevie, Michael, and Chris. The evidence has to be there. And it now sounds like it may actually be released for testing. So fingers crossed on that one. Um, next, we have the Megan Boswell case. It actually has no updates, but I did find out that the trial has now been set for February of 2025. Um, Kalia Guyton, Chapter 26. Uh, Michael Jaguer pleaded not guilty to his first-degree murder, first-degree rape, and kidnapping charges. This trial is set for May of 2024, and of course, the state is seeking the death penalty in the case. Thank God. Honestly, it's time. Yeah. That that was a horrific case. Yeah. So I think that's the end of the up or like the wrap up of season one, like where we're at with all of those bookmarks that we left. Um, but upcoming, like I said before, we have a number of episodes that were meant to be released for season one. Um, uh, a few chapters actually that had been recorded. They're just on deck for editing. Um, so first one, that's very important. I wanted it released in May because kind of in honor of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Month, just awareness. Uh, it's a two-parter going over a possible link between a number of murders in Calgary um, that are potentially linked. All of the victims were street workers or high-risk teens where the bodies were dumped and the causes of death are definitely suspicious. Recently, there was some movement on a property close to Calgary where police were searching for clothing, DNA weapons, sex toys. They had cadaver dogs out there. 
um, the search warrant was the result of a prostitute being held against her will and tortured over the course of a number of days. I had just finished writing part one of the episode when that news broke. And I'll tell you, there were some real similarities and sketchy facts about this guy that uh, could fit into some of the previous homicides. So definitely look out for that episode. It's very exciting and possibly un unfolding now with this new arrest. Um, part two will cover similar homicides in and around the Edmonton area. Edmonton, if you're not aware, is about a two and a half hour drive from Calgary. Um, some of these homicides, actually, police have admitted that there is an active serial killer preying on sex workers in that city. Um, so, and also included in part two is the story of Amber Takaro. Uh, so, again, be sure to tune into that one. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Like, just following all those connections. Um, yeah. It's pretty interesting to listen to. And how... I mean, how bizarre is that, that we just finished, you know, creating episode one, going over all these Calgary homicides, and then all of a sudden, out of Chestermere, there's this guy who's got clothes belonging to a prostitute, they've got a cadaver dog out there looking, um, and I guess I listened to the episode, but the similarities are are striking, so it just, it raises the hair on the back of my neck. Um, he's the right age. I believe he's 59 years old. So back when these other homicides started, he would have been in his 20s. So it's not out, out of the realm of possibility. So that's a, mm -hmm. that'll be an exciting one to get into. Um, also on the editing docket is the case of Anna Walsh. I think a lot of true crime people will know that Anna was murdered in January of this uh, year. And her lying liar husband, Brian Walsh, has been charged with her murder. Um, I'm not saying he's guilty by any means. He's uh, presumed innocent. But uh, once you get into it and you see some of those, the internet searches and stuff that he did um, while his wife was quote-unquote missing, very suspicious. So, <laughs> um, we've got that one ready to go. Just needs a little bit of editing. As you can tell with this one, we're not going to do a whole lot of editing, so you can understand why uh, we want to edit these before we get them out normally. Um, Henry, or sorry, Henry Lee Lucas is also set for editing. Hopefully we can get that released soon. If you don't know, Henry Lee Lucas is the confession killer. He was uh, at one point believed to have committed over 300 murders, um, but obviously he didn't do that many. But anyways, good episode. Catch that one. And finally, kind of finally, I just finished writing the Gannon Stock episode. His step monster, Letitia, is a special, special level of horrible. I cannot wait to bring that episode to you. It's so twisted, but uh, it's actually come to a conclusion now. She was, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but her court case is over. And then I had also mentioned that I was going to do an episode on Summer Will Wells. This case, it's not easy to find up-to-date facts on that case. It's as cold as cold can be. Um, but I do have the episode almost ready to record. And of course, still working on the Ted Bundy and also uh, the Gainesville River. So uh, what are you working on for next season, Brie? Uh, so far, uh, pretty much just uh, Casey Anthony. Well, it's funny that it's called the Casey Anthony case, but, you know, she's not guilty at all, obviously. Uh-huh. 
but uh, the way that I'm going to navigate that one is still to be fully figured out. I mean, my opinion is my opinion, and I'm not yeah. going to be able to keep it out of the episode fully. So it's, we'll... so, it's so challenging when you have your own ideas, but yeah. Yeah, but we'll we'll make sure that we specify that it is all speculation and whatnot. Um and then Barbie and Ken, you know, classic Canadian serial killers, which have always, like, haunted me. Because, like, how can you help a dude do those things to your younger sister? And, yeah, no, we'll get to that. And then, of course, Aiden Fucci. Is that how you say his last name? Aiden yes. Fucci. <laughs> yeah. Him. Uh, Are you going to hit on a little bit of his mom? I think she had just pled guilty or something like that a couple of weeks ago to... Um, of justice or, or something related to the case anyways and i know that you get into it a little bit in your in your episode i just her case was separate and she was actually taken to court and convicted on it so yeah no we're fully going to be going into her because she is i mean in my opinion a horrible lady who fully knew what she was doing when she washed blood off of his pants so yeah. there's proof that she knew exactly kind of like what she was doing and that's not cool at all. So we'll dive into that. And I mean, for those of you who don't know, Aiden is a teenager who killed his girlfriend, not girlfriend, but his friend that was a girl by stabbing her over a hundred times. And honestly, He's he's a psychopath, I believe. I truly yeah. believe it. He was always very, um, I guess, obsessed with knives and stabbing and gore. So he, it's very um, planned out, the murder that he committed. So we'll go through all of that. Awesome. Yeah. And then I was kind of looking at our docket. I noticed a name here, um, Samantha Wolfert that your case oh yeah that is mine <laughs> um that's actually a very interesting one i don't know if you have heard of that one no um she actually ends up um calling the police and like she was like tied up and the police come in and she's all on video and she pretty much claims that these dudes broke in tied her up and like took her husband but really and i'm still like searching this one and like making all the facts come together mm -hmm. um but everything's off like the cops are like what the hell is going on and it turns out that uh she's she's guilty of some stuff so <laughs> it's pretty crazy it's a crazy one. Oh wow no i can't wait to hear that one so yeah i'm not familiar at all yeah it's weird but it sounds like we've got, we've already got a full, you know, season two and, and more to come. And hopefully, hopefully the way we had to record this episode wasn't too terribly hard to listen to. <laughs> um, but it's honestly the best we got right now. And uh, hopefully we can get home soon and get back to doing this. I think we both really enjoy the project. So, and uh Yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. I mean, thank you all for, you know, joining us through volume one of our new podcast. I'm pretty excited to be able to start volume two. Um, 
I don't know. It just feels like kind of like the next step in our podcast journey because like we, we're not doing bad. You know what I mean? We have uh, listeners that come in every single week, twice a week, and that's pretty cool. So, and just so everybody knows, we're not monetized. We're not. Uh, we're not in this for the money. Um, we're doing it because it's a- actually a passion of ours. It's something that we really enjoy. So. Yeah, and I think it's pretty obvious that we're not monetized. You don't right, find right, us beating right. around the bush quite as much as other podcasts. <laughs> and I mean, maybe maybe one day we'll get there. But for now, I, I quite enjoy the way we're doing it, how we're doing it. And I've gotten some really good feedback. And hopefully everybody continues to enjoy it. Agreed. So stay safe, Brady. Hopefully I can see you in the next little while here. Hopefully in a few days or whatever. I miss you. I miss you. <laughs> Okay. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. You can find us on YouTube with our handle, True Crime Story Podcast. If you wish to contact us, you may do so at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm sure. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye. Bye.